Good morning, friends. I am going to read the scripture passage for this morning, which is taken from James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. This is God's holy word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Amen. You may be seated. The passage today is a short passage, and we're going to come into chapter 4 next week as well on um, James continuing to speak to us about the way to live skillfully and wisely under the reign of Christ. I don't know if you remember starting um, when we first began the book of James, we talked about this as a instruction from the Apostle James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, uh, pastor of the most important church in Christianity. Um, and James is speaking to Jewish believers and uh, and others, and, and talking about true wisdom. And wisdom is an important word, isn't it? It's really asking, do you uh, truly live wisely and well under the reign of Christ? You know, um, my job is partially kind of like a life coach sometimes. You ever heard that? Um, I don't make $300 an hour, but that's kind of what life coaches ask for these days is to kind of help people make decisions along the way during life because they're just stuck. They just don't know how to, how to make certain decisions on important matters. And um, as pastors, as elders, as shepherds, we often have to guide people and, and help them to have wisdom from above to make good choices in life. And I have to tell you, one of the hardest things for me in this job is when I see people who don't listen to God or to God's people and they listen to the world and they listen to themselves and everyone and everything but God. And I just sit there and I kind of think, I don't have anything to say. I don't know what else to tell you. You're not really listening. You're just doing what you want to do, what's right in your own eyes. And I want to sometimes shake them a bit and say, wake up. Do you want wisdom? Well, wisdom comes from outside of you. Wisdom comes from God. It's a hard thing. Um, I, I really, really have struggled over the years with people who have come for counseling or people I just speak to in my own family or in daily life. So this chapter is about wisdom. And it's going to contrast wisdom as the book of James has contrasted different things in the previous weeks. 
But in chapter 4, we're going to come almost um, hardcore into the topic of worldliness. Does that bother you? It should. Because worldliness will kill you. In fact, that's what I'm going to entitle it for next week. Worldliness will kill us because the world wants us to listen to the world and to do what the world wants. But God has different words and instructions for us. So if you have ears to hear, listen. May the Lord open and give you wisdom. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, thank You for this passage of Scripture. I ask, Lord, even with my inadequacies, that Your Holy Spirit would speak to Your people and give them what they need to hear. Lord, may they be uh, reminded, perhaps enlivened again, to the truth of Your Word as uh, the Apostle James is putting it out there for us in the footsteps of King Jesus, his older brother. And Lord, we ask that you would, uh, Lord, very kindly give us eyes to see your son this morning. That is the prayer for my own heart. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you just a very quick reminder of where we've been in the book of James. James is definitely one of my favorite books because of these things like speech and and how I look at people and how we relate to one another and putting things in the right priority. It's, it's been a book that I've had to often come back to. I was telling my children in communicants class, we keep reading the Bible and over and over again because we're stupid. We forget things and we have to hear it again. You know, we, we need reminders. And that's really what James is telling you. Some of this is not new. But let me go back and share some of the things that James has taught us. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, he deals with the subject of trials and how we as Christians should respond to trials, to endure in the trials with rejoicing because God has a bigger plan in your trials and sufferings that come into your life. It's not without God knowing. In chapter 1, 19 to 27, he turns to the subject of true religion, true Christianity, contrasting um, claims to faith and false claims to faith. There's lots of people who claim to know God, who claim to be Christians, probably especially here in the South. But um, not all are true claims. In 26 and 27, he gives us a summary statement of what true religion really is. And it's kind of a three-part summary. First, it says it shows up in our speech. It shows up in our care for needy believers, those within the family of God. And thirdly, in our refusal to conform to worldliness. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, he contrasts partiality or sinful partiality when we make partiality as we look out at people with true fellowship. And Pastor Richie shared that with us in the first week he spoke to us. And then in the second week, James chapter 2, 14 to 26, he showed us the evidence of true faith, a faith which has hands and feet, a faith which acts, that works, as Richie put it, a faith that obeys, a faith which loves and then in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, James speaks very briefly about teachers and raises this particular challenge that, that teachers have in terms of guarding their own tongues. We have to be extra careful, those who teach, to be careful how we use our tongues and 
using it to build up rather than to divide and tear down. And now James speaks about wisdom in the passage this morning. Um, oh, chapter 3, 3 to 12, he focuses more generally on the issue of the tongue, and Pastor uh, Jeff spoke to us about that last week. So he talks about wisdom here. Now, you might ask, what's the connection between the sins of the tongue, right, of speech, and this exhortation in the area of talking about wisdom? Well, there's kind of an obvious connection, isn't it? And what that is, is that the tongue is actually a reflection of what's in your heart, isn't it? What comes out of your mouth is really what's in your heart. I remember Pastor uh, Paul Tripp, one of my professors at Westminster Seminary, when he was teaching counseling, he said, you know, have you ever dealt with a drunk and the things that come out of the mouth of a drunk? And I still remember this line. He said, nothing comes out of the mouth of a drunk what wasn't already there in the first place. You might be half asleep, you might be drunk, but what comes out of your mouth, even in those semi-conscious states, is really what's in your heart. And so there's this obvious connection to your heart. The tongue is a reflection of what's in your heart. And the heart has to be changed by God. You cannot have good speech without a good heart truly good speech, encouraging speech, building up speech, not tearing down speech without God changing your heart. I loved sharing that with my, I call them my children because it's been fun teaching the children in Sunday school class for the last four or five weeks along with um, Mr. McNeil. And um, it was wonderful to remind them again that regeneration means that we are dead in our sins. We cannot reach out to God. We do not have hearts that love God or want to listen to God or do what God says until He regenerates us and makes us alive so that we can respond with the grace that He gives us. So James now asks a question about how one knows whether one has true wisdom. And that's what we read in James chapter 3, verses 32 and 18. He asks this question, Who is wise and understanding among you? We all want wisdom. We all want to be wise. We want our spouses to be wise and good to us. We want to be the recipients of it, but we're also supposed to be ones who act and talk wise among others. And James asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So here's how I'm going to break this up. Verses 13 to 14, James talks about true wisdom being shown by our lives and our behavior. Okay, let me say it again. Verses 13 and 14, James talks about our... Um, True wisdom being shown by our lives and our behavior. In other words, it's not just claiming to be wise, but your lives must show it. And that's important to James, isn't it? Practically speaking, if you say you're a Christian, let me see it. Let me see the faith being worked out in your life. Let me see the actions, the words. Secondly, verses 15 and 16, you'll see where he shows us negatively wisdom or false wisdom, and I like to say 
wisdom from hell. Verses 17 to 18, he shows us what heavenly wisdom or true wisdom looks like. So, true wisdom, listen, as I was talking about the fact that we all seek wisdom or we claim to be wise, sometimes in our own eyes, wisdom is not just a matter of ideas that you know or things that you assent to. Okay, so let me say that again. It's not just a matter of notions that you know or things that you assent to, but it shows in the way that you live. So true Christian wisdom is wisdom that you live. The Christian's life, the Christian's choices are lived out and characterized by divine wisdom. You know where it says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom? As I was studying this week, I came across a commentator who put it this way. Instead of the word good conduct, he used the words, by his lovely life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Do you know what Christianity does for us, brothers and sisters? Christianity doesn't just tell us the truth. Christianity points us to the most beautiful life you could ever have. Did you hear me? It isn't just truth. It leads us to the most lovely life you could ever have. By your lovely life, show His works in the meekness of wisdom. When we witness to others and unbelievers, have you ever said to them, do you want to have a beautiful life? Come to Christ. Come hear the words of God. Come hear the wisdom of God instead of the wisdom of the world. And so James is really asking, who is wise and understanding among you? Not everyone is that way. And as I said earlier, you know, about the tongue and the reflection of the heart, what James is kind of asking here is, does your heart reveal a heart of wisdom? Let me ask you that. Does your heart reveal a heart of wisdom? And he doesn't really give us a a definition. What he says is, let me show you how you know whether a person has wisdom or not. And he describes for us a person who has wisdom. He describes it negatively and he describes it positively. Now, I want to read to you a verse from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is very, very much filled with wisdom, isn't it? It's a wisdom book. Some of you read Proverbs and Psalms daily along with your Bible readings. This is a very key verse in the book of Proverbs. One of my favorites that I've memorized, maybe many of you have and children have even. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. So do you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is a life that's lived before you that acknowledges Him in everything that they do. And they do it. They live it out. It's not just a mental ascent, but it is doing it. One commentator 
said it this way, if we could give some sort of a definition, wisdom is the God-given ability, listen to that, God-given ability, not just in our own coming up with it. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see how in all our ways we may acknowledge Him. And James actually is taking it a bit further and saying it's actually seeing and doing, acknowledging God in all our ways. Wisdom is living in the fear of God, in the awe of God, in reverence of God, in respect of God, in every aspect of our life, living in accordance to the fear of God. Is that describe your heart? One of the saddest things for me, as I was sharing earlier, is when I've counseled people in my own family or young men and women who come to me sometimes, and this is how they live. They live by the billboards and by the advertisements of the world because they think life is just all about them. And not much has changed since Greek philosophers have said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And they still live that way today. Live for today. Live for you. Live for yourself. Live for everything that makes you happy. And they give in to that. And as they come, you know what I notice? I notice that they want a change because they feel like or realize something is missing, but they don't want to give in to God. They still want to do what's right in their own eyes. And I am just crushed in my spirit because I know they need to submit to the Lord. I know they need to hear wisdom that is beyond them, but they won't do it. I've had this in my own family's life where sometimes Jay and I are talking about family members and we're like, their life is in continual disarray. Their life is in continual falling apart mode because... They're just listening to everything else except God. They don't want to hear God's word. They don't want to get counsel. They don't want to be rebuked. By the way, sometimes good discipline or good correction in your life may seem like the barbs of an enemy, but they are good for you. I want you to hear that. Sometimes it will seem like the attack of your worst enemy, but sometimes a good friend will come to you and advise you, and it may hurt at the moment, but if it's wisdom from God, that is exactly what you need to hear. That God is warning you. That your friend is saying you're off course. You're not in line with God and man. You're unhappy for these reasons. James, in chapter in chapter 3, verse 14 says that a person's character can contradict his claim to have true wisdom. They may even be teachers or spiritual, godly, religious type of people whose heart is characterized by jealousy and selfish ambition. And it shows that they really don't have true wisdom. Wisdom, true wisdom, is self-denying, it's self-subduing, it's other-centered, and it's God-honoring. But that's not what the world has to show us. Look at how it continues. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, 
Do not boast and be false to the truth. What does he mean by that? Well, do you know what foolish people think? They brag about their foolishness. When you're selfish, you can't help but boast. That's what you do. We boast in the things that we're doing wrong because we're all about ourselves. You've been around people like that, right? They talk about themselves. They talk about what they have. They talk about what they're doing. They talk about what they're going to do. They talk about everything about them. And it comes to the point of boasting. And James says, do not boast and be false to the truth. Kind of warning them and saying, by continuing to talk, even though you're making foolish decisions, being so wrapped up in yourself, you're adding condemnation to yourself by going against the truth of God. Don't do it. You're making it even worse for yourself. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I'm going to, for the sake of time, not even turn to my notes, just try to share with you some of these thoughts about these three things. Think about that. Earthly, how does it say in the ESV? Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Let's talk about earthly for a moment. James is giving us characteristics of false wisdom. We have this all around us. People are so earthbound, they're only thinking about the earth and their time on the earth. They're never thinking about the world to come. They're not realizing that there is another more permanent and eternal world to come. They're so earthbound, they're only speaking on earthly terms. Don't you see people like that? They're so wrapped up in the kingdoms that we built down here. Guess what, foolish man? You could die tonight. Everything can be taken away tonight if all your precious treasures are only earthbound. And that is foolishness. If your wisdom is very much based on earthbound living, I feel so sorry for you. Your whole life could end up being a waste because it could all be gone the moment you leave the earth. Secondly, it says it's unspiritual or natural, meaning like the world. Unspiritual. Use the word capital S in there. Unspirit-like. Not listening to the Spirit of God. As I was telling our children today, I was telling the last two weeks we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. I said, children, do you realize that when we are regenerated and converted when we turn in faith to God and we turn away in repentance from ourselves, the Holy Spirit indwells us and the Holy Spirit nudges us when we're doing wrong things and the Holy Spirit guides us back to the truth. We are never alone again. As Christians, we are never abandoned or left alone to ourselves. The Holy Spirit continually brings us back on track. It makes us uncomfortable. makes us feel guilt. But the opposite is unspirit. Unholy spirit led. Friends, I want to ask you, how much do you 
listen to the Spirit of God. Do you sense His nudging? Do you hear Him? And what I mean by hearing is, you know He's dwelling inside you and He's saying, go this way. Listen to God. Don't do this. But we, in our natural selves, what we do is we fight that because we are all about ourselves. We are earthly-minded, earthbound, thinking about our little fiefdoms and kingdoms that we've set up, protecting ourselves. We don't want anyone else to be king except us. And that is why James says it's unspiritual, this false wisdom. And finally, I love that he includes this. He uses the word demonic. Wow, that's a strong word, isn't it? Do you know what James is saying? Any wisdom outside of God is from hell. It's from the devil. It's from the demons. It is an other spiritual dimension that you're dealing with. My, my brothers and sisters, listen. The contrast here is to live a life of true wisdom from heaven and from God based on His words through the person of Christ or just living the way that you want to live. But there's no middle. You're either the Lord's or you're the devil's. It's demonic. Some of the stuff I hear when people say, oh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to engage in this, and, and I, I, I tell them, do you realize that this is going to be bad for you? Do you realize this is going to hurt you long term? Do you realize that this is going to hurt your relationship with God? Their response is, so what? It makes me happy now. Everybody else is doing it. Well, the father of lies has gotten to them. The devil has gotten a foothold in their hearts and their minds and their lives. Friends, anything outside of godly wisdom is demonic. All these advertisements that you see on the internet and TV and on the road, it is all based on self. It is all based on hurting us in our relationship with our Creator. It is demonic. And I want you to hear that word very, very clearly. Well, then James comes to asking this question. So how do you tell? James, tell, how do you tell the difference? How do you know? How do you know that this is bad? Because there are people who think that they're doing fine, they're doing great. Well, the truth is, James says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing or every vile thing. I'm going to leave this here just so I can go on to the last part very quickly on true wisdom, but let, let me share it this way. You can look around and see in, your, in, in the lives of the people around you total disarray and lives that are falling apart. They're unhappy. They think they're happy. They say they're happy, but their lives are falling apart. It is in disarray, and it's every vile practice. Every evil practice can be seen in their lives. And you, you probably know people like this. You've probably seen it. It's all around us. You can tell that their lives are not in order. It's the opposite. It's disorder. And they're constantly trying to fix it by buying something else or getting into another relationship, going against godly wisdom. But I want you to keep that in mind. The way that we will be able to distinguish false wisdom, I don't even think we can call it wisdom, right? But James is saying it's the world's wisdom and true wisdom, you will tell by their lives. 
You'll tell by what's happening in their lives. How are their lives going? Is it falling into place as the Lord aligns things and puts them in good places? Or is the Lord aligning things well, giving them blessings? And that doesn't mean no trials, no sufferings. I'm saying, is the the Lord ordering your life or is it continually in disarray with the practice of every evil intention and vile practice? Well, finally, James, in verses 17 and 18, talks about the qualities and characteristics of true wisdom. So let me just read that, and then I'll go into it very quickly. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I'll come back to verse 18 in just a moment. There are at least eight qualities and characteristics here leading to, um, um, leading to the result of a life of peace. And as one of your pastors, I would want to tell you this. You know what I want for every single one of you? A life that's peaceful, not lives that are falling apart, not lives that are totally miserable all the time. You're always in agony. You're always just miserable, always unhappy. What I desire for you is a life of peace because God has ordered your life. God has put you in the right situations and the right places. So let's look at these eight characteristics and then this final result, okay? First, the wisdom from above is first pure. There's a purity. There's a holiness. There's a cleanness before God. A clean-hearted attitude with God and others characterizes the truly wise person. Is that true of you? Or are you double-minded with people? Purity means you're not double, you're not faking, you're not pretending, you're not showing a two-face. It is clean-heartedness before God and others. Is there a purity that characterizes you? When people talk to you, do they say, yep, I know who that guy is. I know who that girl is. What you see is what you get. Secondly, the wise person is peace-promoting, is peacemaking. Maybe that's the better way to say peaceable. It means willing and and ready to make peace. You know, that doesn't necessarily may, mean, you know, making peace at all costs. You know, I hate conflict. Let's just make peace. Let's just do what they want to do, go along with it. No, that is not what it means. Peacemaking means that you're always promoting peace. Here's one. Maybe this will step on your foot a little bit. Someone comes and tells you stuff about someone else. And it's nice, juicy gossip. And you're going to say, nope, it's going to end right here. It's not going to go past me because it's not going to promote peace. It's going to cause division within the family. I'm not going to let it go past me. Maybe it was never meant to be gossip, but that's what it eventually turns into. So is it peace-promoting? A truly wise person is always thinking, I want to bring people together under the Lord's guidance and wisdom, not tear the body of Christ by being critical all the time or always being judgmental. 
Different sermon, I know, but <laughs> just had to mention that promotes unity, not division. Thirdly, the truly wise person is gentle. Gentle. What do you think that means? You know, as I was kind of thinking about it and studying it, I think it means not demanding and belligerent. You know, supposing I read my Bible today as a young believer, and then I decide tomorrow at church, I'm going to preach on this because everyone must repent of this by tomorrow. Because I'm so convicted by it. You know what gentleness in our Christian character means? That we're willing to be kind with people, listen to people, and, and let them grow under God's grace. And, and not being belligerent. And not being overly demanding. Fourthly, the person who has true wisdom is reasonable. And let me say it this way, that we listen to others, that we're listen, willing to listen to what other people have to say or their thoughts. True wisdom is reasonable. It's not cutting people off before they even get a few words out. It'll be understanding and reasonable with others. People have their thoughts and And we need to be able to listen to others. Fifthly, true wisdom is active in sympathy and compassion. It's full of mercy. It's active in acts of compassion towards other believers. I think that speaks for itself. We need to be a merciful people. And that's a part of godly wisdom. Sixthly, true wisdom displays the fruit of the Spirit's work in life. Full of good fruits. For the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control is what he's talking about. Isn't that from Galatians 5? See, James and Paul are not in conflict again. James is really reiterating what Paul says to the Galatian church. It's the fruits of the Spirit. Seventhly, unwavering. A truly wise person doesn't go back and forth, doesn't vacillate between this and that all the time. There is a consistency. There is a steadiness. Does that describe you? Are you here doing this one day and another opinion the next day, constantly back and forth, kind of like that double-minded man that James talks about? Truism is unwavering. Eighthly, not hypocritical. It's without hypocrisy. The true wise, truly wise Christian is not, an hypocr- not a hypocrite, but a person of integrity. You know what that means? It means that you're whole, that you're true, that what you are on the outside is what you are on the inside. Not hypocritical. So, What is the result of all these eight qualities? James puts it this way in the last verse. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know what true wisdom looks like in the life of a believing body? A believing Christian? There's a life of peace. There's a life of contentment. There's a life of satisfaction. There's a life of trust. It is not constant disarray or disorder or upheaval. And they will sow in righteousness and in peace. Does that describe you, my brothers and sisters? 
Man, this is such good stuff because our lives are all dependent on the type of wisdom that you choose. Worldly wisdom or godly wisdom. And I want to remind you as I close, the Lord Jesus is the epitome of wisdom. I've probably shared this once before. No one ever wrote a book about the things Jesus should have said. Because everything He said was perfect. And He didn't make any mistakes. He was the epitome of true wisdom. And the way that we can live wise, peaceful lives is to submit our lives over to Him. Listen, I know you don't have everything figured out. I don't have everything figured out. I don't know what's going to happen next month or next year, but here's what I know. Jesus is wisdom embodied. And when I have entrusted my life to Him, He is going to order my life so that I will make good and wise decisions day by day, month by month, year by year. And whatever I mess up on, He's still going to order it for good. That's the wisdom of God. Which one do you have? Which one will you seek after? Which one will you follow? I know this is an old sermon, but how much are you reading God's Word to really hear God's wisdom instead of internet wisdom or worldly wisdom? There's a difference. You're going to either have peace or disorder. Come to Christ and trust yourself to Him. The Lord will make you wise. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing us to think on this passage for a few minutes. Lord, I ask that you will just cover up my inadequacy so your spirit will nudge everyone according to what you want them to hear and do. Lord, thank you for the book of James and for the practicality in moving us towards Christ and seeking his wisdom and his guidance and peace for us. And Lord, do give us peace. Thank you that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I pray for all those who are in turmoil, even right now, even today, sitting in our church, those who are having internal conflict, whose lives are falling apart. Lord, would you take it, mend it, fix it, and bring it back into order as they submit to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.